several people have asked me about these questions. So let me just speak to and about the questions just for a moment. These are meant for you just to follow along through the lesson, either during the lection, uh, lecture or later on afterwards when you're at home. If you want to go through and fill them out, that's fine also. Most of the answers to these questions come right out of the text of our lesson or right out of the text of Scripture where we're talking about Scripture. So if you don't feel comfortable filling out the questions during the lecture, then do it later. If you're comfortable filling out the questions during the lecture, then do it then. Okay? These are just to help you kind of learn and kind of grow and kind of write things down and clarify things. Okay? So if you were paying close attention, you realize that last Sunday... I made it through almost the entire thing. And the only thing left is question number 23 and 24. Okay? So that wasn't necessarily by design. Actually, this set of questions is going to last us through page 67 on the handouts. So today I'll be lecturing all day and only covering the last two questions. Okay? So if you will, sometimes it may be a large part of the lesson you hear that day. Sometimes we may not even touch on any of these. Okay? But this is just a companion with the lesson to kind of clarify things and clarify maybe the high points or the really important stuff. And uh, that's why they're there. If I could do more questions, I would. I just don't have a lot of time. This is one of those luxuries for me that I like to provide for the class, but I, I rarely have time to get to. So this may be the last time you see questions. <laughs> but I hope not. I hope not. So... Um, Anyway, that's the deal on the questions. Then also, I wanted to cover um, a couple of other things. We have a sign-up sheet back there for class ministry volunteers. And let me just say, last week I had one person sign up for one job. I need help. We need help. We're the body. We function together. Please go back and look at that sheet and see if there's something there that you can commit to. And this is a fabulous way to serve the Lord and to serve the church. Amen? Amen? Okay. Then also, there's an email sign-up sheet back there. If you have an email address and you want to see, receive periodicals from this class, sign up your email on that email list. And every once in a while, I send out uh, emails to the whole class. And sometimes it's stuff that's really relevant to the class. Sometimes it's something that's not relevant at all. But I just thought it was important for us Christians to hear, okay? And so if you're not on that list, sign up on that list uh, if you would like to. Okay, one last thing before we get started. I'm recommending three books to you uh, as, a, as uh, some uh, companion study aids to the first portion of our lesson here. I'm going to be recommending some more books, okay? So I hope you're a good reader. And I hope you're reading good stuff instead of bad stuff, okay? Like, like this is good stuff to read, okay? So read this stuff and don't read that garbage and junk that they put out in American culture that doesn't mean anything except temptation to sin and destruction and death and hell and all that ugly stuff. You with me? Okay, good. All right. So these three books are this one by R.C. Sproul. It's called Getting the Gospel Right, Okay fabulous book in clarifying what is the Christian gospel, okay? R.C. Sproul, of course, he's everybody's grandpa if you're a Christian and you love Jesus, right? R.C. Sproul. And then also this book by uh, George Ladd, this is a fabulous book. I've never seen one like it in the way that this describes the gospel as it is uh, an essential element of the preaching of the kingdom of God. And so, if you will, he discusses the fact that the gospel is the message about the kingdom. And in that, he really brings out some great insight that you may not have really understood about the gospel before. So, this is a really good one. It's a quick read. George Ladd, The Gospel of the Kingdom. Okay? If you're not familiar with George Ladd, he is a, he's a, a New Testament scholar who studied at uh, and taught at uh, Fuller Seminary for many, many years. He was a mid-20th century guy, okay? And then also uh, 
This book by C.J. Mahaney, and this one, if you will, is a, a real aid not only in clarifying what the gospel is, but how to apply the gospel to your daily life, okay? And so this one's called Living the Cross-Centered Life. Living the Cross-Centered Life. And oh, how we need to learn how to keep the gospel and the cross at the center of our life every day. Amen? If it's the center of God's plan in history, surely it ought to weigh in as the center of what defines our life on a daily basis. Amen? Keeping the gospel the main thing. That's the subtitle here. Okay? Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. With that, let's pray. Our God and Father, we honor you today, Lord. We bow our heads in reverent submission to your holiness, to your majesty and your glory, God. Oh, Lord, you are infinitely valuable. And, Lord, we do treasure you. We bless your holy name and we thank you for the privilege of knowing you and the opportunity to love you through our Lord Jesus and by your blessed Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have to gather in this place to hear your word proclaimed. We ask that you would give us insight, give us understanding, give us eyes that see God and ears that hear. And God, give us hearts ready to receive willing hearts of submission, willing hearts of obedience. God, we we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would console us and comfort us in our suffering, and that, Lord, that you would use us as vessels, as ministers of your goodness and your love and your mercy. God, we thank you for the privilege of being called by your name of being called out of darkness into your marvelous light and into the kingdom of your dear Son. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just sharpen our understanding this day of you, of your purpose, and of your glorious gospel. And because of this gospel, we pray. Amen. Okay, so then. Last week uh, on our lesson... We uh, started a new portion of the series here speaking about the gospel. And I just want to kind of give you just a brief review of where we're at here. We talked about the gospel being the message, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And so we we had a study where we were uh, discussing the fact or the person of Jesus Christ. And then we went through uh, many, many weeks discussing the work of Jesus Christ, or if you will, the atonement what it is and what it means to us, to talking now about the message of Jesus Christ. And if you will, the gospel is the message of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the message of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Amen? And so if you will, in communicating this message, this is something that we need to very clearly understand. Number one, for the glory of God and for the enjoyment of God. Amen? Because as we understand what God has done for us in Christ, and more than that, that Jesus the Christ is our own, that we enter into union with Him. Amen? As we begin to understand that more and more clearly, the relationship that we have with the Lord blossoms, and it blooms, and it deepens, and it strengthens. Amen? And so, number one... We want to gain from this an understanding for ourselves, but also then and therefore an ability to communicate this message because it's vital and it's essential for people to be saved. Amen? Which is the great and desperate need of mankind. Would you agree? And so uh, this lesson on the message of the gospel is going to help us to clarify it not only for ourselves, but so that we can share it, so that we can articulate it so that we can uh, 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 speak these promises of God that are held out in the gospel for those who are desperately needing it. Amen? Okay, so then and therefore, uh, last week we talked about the the fact that the gospel is a message, and we kind of summarized it in a paragraph there, if you will, on page number 63. And... um, at the end of that little section where we were talking about the gospel as a message, 
we made the statement that the gospel is a message that at its core is rather simple, but yet at the same time has many complex elements. And uh, that might have maybe shocked some of you because maybe you've heard preachers say a lot, I know I have in the past, that the gospel is really simple. And it is. The gospel is really simple in its core. Okay, In its basic and essential message, it's really simple. However, the, the whole Bible is written to reveal the gospel to us. And in that, it, it has infinite complexity like that of a multifaceted diamond. It's something that has many different angles and many different uh, nuances and, and, and things that are related to it within all that God is doing in history. Are you with me? So in that sense, the gospel is somewhat complex. And that's not to discourage us, family. That's to tell us that in mining the riches of the gospel, we're never going to run, run, uh, 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 we're never going to fill up our bucket. Are you with me? That there's always some new glorious facet to the love and the power and the wisdom of God expressed in Jesus the Christ. Amen? Are you with me? And so, this thing is never going to get boring. Right? In fact, we're going to spend the endless eons of eternity glorifying God for all the multifaceted beauty of the gospel. Would you agree? And not only that, this is the thing we treasure above all things. Because in the gospel, we get God. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the substance of the gospel that is held out to us. And He is then also our exceeding great reward. We enter into union with Him. Amen? Okay, so then, uh, when we talked about the fact that the gospel was simple, we kind of summed it up by saying that it had these basic elements, right? God, man, Christ, response. And if you will, that's a way to just kind of briefly categorize the essential elements of the gospel. So the gospel is, is, is a message about God. And it's a message about God and man. And it's a message about the fact that man has fallen away from God by willful sin. And that because of that, he now abides under the wrath of God and is in, in, under desperate condemnation for sins, has, has the uh, Christ offered to him by God to save him from death and destruction, which is the result and the consequence of sin. Amen? And so God has provided a lamb, even the Lord Jesus Christ, so that men could be saved, that they believe upon the lamb. And he who requires blood has his justice satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus. Are you with me? And that in offering to us this Christ, this anointed one, this Jesus who died on the cross, he offers to us freely to respond to his offer by receiving Jesus the Christ by repentance and by faith. Amen? And that's it. That's the simple, essential elements of the gospel. Okay? And so, uh, of course, we're, we're going to talk about that at great length. We're going we're to see that in the scripture text. Um, however, at the same time, the gospel can be a very complex thing. And it, it, it's related to everything that's in the entire Bible. Okay? Not only that, it's related to everything that is in the world. And everything that is uh, known to mankind. Okay? Everything exists for this central purpose that God can display the glory of his attributes in the cross and through the gospel. Are you with me? And so we were talking about the fact that the gospel was the central theme of all of history. Okay? And I made the statement something like this, that the world and the creation is the stage that God created on which he could play out the gospel itself. That is the reason why God made the creation. So that he could display his divine glory through the cross. Amen? Which also, by the way, for those deep theological thinkers... That right there solves the problem of evil, which has plagued theologians for years and years and years and years and years. Why does a good God allow evil in the world? Let me tell you why. So that he can play out the gospel on Calvary's hill, and in so doing, display the manifold 
glory of his infinite perfections. That's it. That's the answer to the problem of evil. Okay? So it's no secret. It's no secret. Let me tell you. It's been heralded for 2,000 years now by eyewitnesses who saw the whole thing. Amen? It's a historical fact. And it is now, for those of us who believe in Jesus, the very treasure of our lives. The thing we hold nearer and dearer than any other thing. Amen? That Jesus, Him, Jesus, our Jesus, dying on that cross for us, is for us the power and the wisdom of God. Amen? He is our eternal life. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. He is, if you will, going to be the spectacle of our worship for all the endless eons and days of eternity. Amen? Okay. That's why we gather. We gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal God. Amen? Okay. So then I'm preaching to the choir. (laughs) So not only is the gospel the central theme of all of creation, the central theme of all of history, okay? Maybe you haven't thought about it in those terms. I want you to think about it in those terms. I want you to think about the things that are going on in the world around you and how they relate to God's central theme in history, which is the cross and the gospel. It gives us new insight into daily life, let me tell you. It gives us new insight as to why we're here. You know, the Bible says we've received the ministry of reconciliation. You know what that means? That means we're ministers of reconciliation. Amen? And so we have the words of life. Let our mouths not be silent. Amen? Amen? But more than that, the gospel is conferring on us a king and a kingdom. And so in the gospel... We are saying to people that the rule of the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Remember when Jesus started his ministry? These are the words that came out of his mouth. He said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's what he's saying. You better stop your sinning because the king has arrived. That's what he's saying. Amen? You better stop your sinning because the kingdom has arrived. The rule of God has broken into this realm that we live in. And now is the day to turn away from your sins. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus was preaching. Who himself was that king. Amen? But first he came as a suffering servant. And so if you will, the kingdom has these very peculiar characteristics. Right? And, and uh, we talked about that at some length, that it has these elements of the fact that it is now, but it has not yet reached its climax. And so the kingdom has this two-age uh, uh, kind of a, of a construction where, where uh, the, we have the age which is now and the age which is yet to come. And this is very prevalent in New Testament language. Paul will talk about this present evil age as in comparison to the age that is to come. Okay, And if you will, uh, the kingdom of God has broken into time and space through the gospel and through our Lord Jesus Christ and is now uh, a message that's being proclaimed and heralded of a future fulfillment that is coming when the kingdom reaches its climax. Amen? And so we're going to talk about that at length. But So remember, when you're telling people about this gospel, it's not just... God, man, Christ response, okay? But there's much more to it, okay? Jesus, like I said last week, is not just a bleeding Savior. He's also a conquering king, amen? A king who demands homage from all of his subjects. A king that demands reverent submission and compliance with his commandments. A king that demands your love and your devotion to him and to him above all other things in your life. Amen? That's who Jesus is. And that's who people need to understand him to be. That's why we have half-hearted faith. That's why we have easy believism. Right? Because we've watered down the commitment that Christ is calling us to. Are you with me? Okay, all right. 
We talked about the fact that uh, another com- one of the complex elements of the gospel was that it's, it's not just God has saved you uh, uh, through the cross, or it's not just that God is offering to save you through the cross, right? But that there is a judgment that is yet to come, that in the gospel is a great warning and an accountability for sin. And God is calling us with an accountability that one day he's going to judge us in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed, even the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Acts 17.31. And so the gospel has this element of judgment. We're not just telling people of the love and the grace and the mercy of God that's available to them, but we're warning them that if they reject the gospel, then they are subject to the judgment and the eternal wrath of God. Amen? And, of course, we read some scripture that dealt with that. But then also, another one of those elements that's somewhat of a complexity in the gospel is the fact that we're preaching to people a monotheistic religion, if you will. Okay? I I hesitate to use that word religion because it means a different thing to a lot of different people. But the point is, is that when we bring the gospel to people, we are telling them that there is one true and living God who is the creator of all things. And that apart from that knowledge about who God is, the gospel has no meaning at all. Because it's that God who has been offended by sin. It's that God who came into time and space, incarnated as a man, and died on a cross as a sacrifice to satisfy his own divine justice. It's that God who is providentially ruling over the creation and bringing it to an expected end by his providence. It is that God who is, if you will, the beginning and the end of everything that exists. Amen? And, and so, if you will, we're preaching to people a monotheistic truth, which is to say that there is only one God and there is no others. Now, of course, we know that God is revealed in three persons, right? He's a triune God. Nevertheless, He is one. There's only one of Him, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that discussion's for another day, right? But, but the point is, is that when we preach the gospel to people, we're preaching the fact that God is one, Okay? And, and, you know, there was a time in America when that was something that was understood. In fact, much of Western civilization has this foundation underneath it. That is that, that Christianity is a monotheistic religion. And the understanding of reality presented in Christianity presents the fact that God is the creator of all things. God is the one to whom man is accountable. And God is the one to whom the believing sinner is reconciled in the gospel. Okay, But now, in postmodern America and in postmodern civilization all over the world, okay, we find more and more people who do not have this foundation of monotheism. They don't understand that there's one God. They don't know, if they do know that Christianity preaches about one God, they don't understand who he is or what he's like. And so many times we have to lay that foundation in their understanding in order for them to understand the, the real meat of the gospel. Are you with me? If they don't understand the concept of sin, then they don't even have a basis for understanding what the cross is about. Are you with me? And if they don't understand who holy God is and how they are fallen from him and, and have become offenders, even rebels of his holy law, Okay, then they have no idea what sin is. And we already said if they don't know what sin is, the gospel has no context. What good is a dying Jewish carpenter? The Gentiles reason. That's foolishness. Right? And, and uh, the point is, is that, well, let me tell you what good he is. Without him, you're going to be destroyed in hell forever. That ought to get your attention. Amen? Are you with me? So uh, the point is, is that the gospel holds out the fact that God is one. There's only one God. And he's the one who's been offended by sin. And Jesus is that God dying on the cross as a propitiation for sins so that we can be reconciled to God. Amen? Are you with me? 
So you understand now how it's important that we understand and have the ability to articulate what monotheism is and why it's important and why it matters and why some people who don't know who God is, you know, a lot of people have a monotheistic idea. Okay, but they don't understand who God is. They think that God is a God of their own imagining. They think he's a big grandpa in the sky patting everybody on the head. Right? And in that, let me tell you, they've redefined the gospel. They've redefined the gospel. If you redefine the character and the nature of God, you've redefined the gospel. You've redefined what salvation is. Okay? And that's why, you know, this is a serious error when somebody begins to violate the character and the nature of God. It's, it's like open theism. Okay? Open theism, if you're not familiar with that, is a, a modern heresy, uh, which basically, when you sum it all up, says that God doesn't know everything. That God cannot know everything. Okay? Well, now you're on dangerous ground. Why? Because now you're beginning to redefine the attributes of God, who is omniscient. Right? You're beginning to redefine what Scripture clearly teaches us about God, that He what? That He knows all things, things past, things present, things future. The substance of all knowledge that can possibly be known, God knows it all. Not only that, He's the beginning and the end of all that knowledge. Amen? He's the great designer of it all. He's the one who has ordained, not even ordained, but decreed it all from eternity past. Amen? You with me? And so we have to be very careful. This God that we present, who is he? What is he like? Very important part of the gospel. Let me tell you, these days more and more people have questions about God when you start talking to them about the gospel. Because, you know, again, they have to have a context for what a dying Savior is for. Why? Why Jesus? Why cross? Why blood? Why all of this? Why substitutionary atonement? Why justification by faith? Why do I need to be justified? Right? Well, if you understand who God is, then you understand what sin is. When you understand what sin is, you know why you need a Savior, because you do it all the time. Amen? And so it's important, very important to understand some of the complexities that are in the Gospel. So with that, we're going to pick up and take off um, by either turning in your Bible or looking at the bottom of page 65, uh, there is a scripture there in Ephesians. And here I, I, was, I was talking about the fact that Paul and the other apostles were preaching the full gospel, which included all of God's manifold blessings, his threatenings, and promises as he brings the creation to its ultimate fulfillment when his kingdom is established and all his enemies, including death, are destroyed and forever removed and all things are made new. Okay, so uh, here's kind of where we ended last week. I was saying that this gospel message, this thing about Jesus dying on the cross and now calling the church out of darkness, all of this, if you will, has an eschatological sense to it. And what we mean by that is the summing up of all things or the, or the last things, okay, or if you want, the end of the world, okay, some people like it to be termed that way, all of that is inseparably tied to the gospel in the fact that the gospel is where the history reached its climax, Okay, because Jesus, if you will, is the beginning and the end of the gospel. He's the beginning and the end of everything that exists. Remember, he came in Revelation there in chapter 1. He said, behold, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Right? And of course, that's the Old Testament announcement in the book of Isaiah of who God is. He's the beginning and the end. What does he mean? I'm the author of creation and I'm the one who sums it up. And in the New Testament, when the gospel is presented to us by Paul, he tells us that in Christ God is summing up all of the ages. Okay? And if you will, here is a section that kind of speaks to that. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 and following. There Paul says, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. And so I want to point out to you a couple things that Paul's saying here. Number one, he's a preacher to the Gentiles of the unfathomable riches of Christ. Do you understand what the riches of Christ are? Well, let me tell you what they are first and foremost. They are unfathomable. What does that mean? Unable to comprehend the depth. Unable, you know what a fathom is, right? A fathom is a unit of measurement in in measuring the depth of the sea, right? And so the riches of Christ are unfathomable. They cannot be measured. They are, if you will, infinite and inexhaustible. Okay? And this is what Paul's saying is what God gave him a commission to preach. To preach these unfathomable riches. Amen? And so when we talk about the promises of God that are laid out for us in the gospel, let me tell you, they're infinite. They're unfathomable. It will take all of eternity for God to express His kindness to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That's what it says in Ephesians 2.7. But here also, look what he says. He says that, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery for ages has been hidden in God. Here's what he's saying. What I'm preaching is bringing to light what God has kept hidden for ages, but is now revealed in Christ. What is that? The gospel. Right? Paul is to bring that to light. And what does he call it? The administration of the mystery. What mystery? The mystery of why creation exists. Okay? It is the display of the manifold perfections of God expressed through the gospel, through the cross, through the passion, through Jesus our Lord, through the incarnation, amen, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and, and through, the incar- uh, through, the, uh, through, through the fact that Jesus is now going to come and reign on a throne. He's going to be king over everything he created, and he's going to receive homage from his subjects. Right? And everybody's going to lie down in his kingdom in peace. Amen? Or be banished forever. Well, here Paul says that all of this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Something you need to understand about the gospel is that this isn't something where this is God's plan B. Okay? The gospel is not God's plan B. You know, God wasn't happy-go-lucky, skipping to the loo with Adam through the garden, and one day Adam tripped. And, and, and now God's got a big mess on his hands, and what's he going to do? You understand what I'm saying? That, that the gospel, sin, the creation, everything that exists, is all part of the eternal purpose of God, which he's carrying out in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the plan of redemption. It's that plan which God planned in his perfect knowledge in eternity past. Are you with me? There never was a time in eternity past when God did not see the cross and when the Son did not agree to go to the cross willfully and give his life as a sacrifice there and when the Spirit did not agree with God in eternity past that he would come into time and space and apply that Blood to the altar for the elect church of God. Family, we call that the covenant of grace, right? Or the covenant of redemption. It is the agreement among the members of the Trinity in eternity past of, 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 the, of the history and purpose in redemption. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying this is something that God has planned from all eternity. From before the day when he spoke the universe into existence, he planned that the world would turn out just like this. Are you with me? God isn't surprised by what's happened in creation. This is the manifold wisdom of God being made known to us as we see it unfolding in time and space. That is a providential God who's ruling over his creation and bringing it to an expected end. Are you with me? 
In other words, it's all going to end up just like God expects it to. You know why? Because He's the one who's carrying it out. Amen? The Bible says, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. So then, this is another important aspect of the gospel. The kingdom will soon reach its fulfillment, and all things will be made new. Death and hell no more shall awe us. The old creation will be destroyed, and God's people will forever enter his rest, and he will dwell among them. Okay? And so, in this sense, the gospel is very much eschatological. It has to do with the last days, or the end times, or the last things. Why? Because it's conferring on us a kingdom that has a fulfillment. Right? There isn't a scripture that expresses it more vividly than this scripture in Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5. And there John has seen the revelation of the coming kingdom and he describes it like this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Amen? I don't know about you, but I can't wait. I can't wait till there's no longer any death or mourning or dying or pain. Are you with me? I'm tired of that stuff. I'm weary of this world. Amen? I'm weary of my own self. I'm weary of my own struggles inside my heart with my sinful heart. How about you? I love that song that Red Mountain Church does. It's it's called Weary of Earth, Myself, and Sin. I don't know about you, but I'm a weary traveler. And I can't wait to get to the other side where the glory is. Amen? Are you with me? And so in the gospel is held out this hope. (laughs) In a hopeless world, we have hope. Unfathomable hope. Filled with the riches of Christ. Are you with me? And in this sense, there is this eschatological fulfillment of the kingdom where God has promised to us a world that is void of sin and death and dying. No more pain, he says. No more mourning, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen? Even the old earth is going to pass away. Are you with me? I was having a conversation yesterday with a buddy, and he was talking about global warming. (laughs) I said, let me tell you about global warming, buddy. (laughs) God's going to heat up the globe, and it's going to be hotter than you care to, to know. (laughs) you think it's hot now (laughs) you don't have a thermometer that big are you with me people don't understand this pile of dust in space was created by God so that he could play out the gospel and that the Lord Jesus Christ the Lamb of glory could be nailed on that tree and see the love of God manifest for all the ages Are you with me? That is the central figure in human history. That is the central theme. That is the central idea for which the creation exists. Make no mistake about it, family. If this Bible is true, that is the central theme of everything that exists. And so what ought to bring definition and meaning and purpose to our lives? Are you with me? What is your life about? Why do you live? What do you do with your time? What are the affections of your heart? 
What is it that you truly treasure and desire? Understanding what I'm saying? If that is what is chiefly important to God, and it is, then that ought to be what is chiefly important to us. And in all of that complexity, it's really rather simple. Right? Teacher, in all the law, what is the great commandment? Right? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen? And Paul adds, if you love your neighbor, you fulfilled the law. Amen? And so what is the worthy response? Well, here's what it is. Boil it down. It's love. Love for God and love for neighbor. Are you with me? Okay, so then. The gospel has this eschatological element. So as we go through this study, I, I'm not sure if you saw the back of uh, or, or on page 68, but hopefully starting next week, I'm going to do an exposition of this gospel text in Romans 3, verses 19 through 28. And I intend to do that several times through the course of our lesson with several different sections of text, Okay. It's called expository teaching in this sense. We're going to look at the text of Scripture and we're going to mine out of there what God is saying about the gospel because these are gospel texts that I'm going to be doing exposition on. So, as we go through that, I want you to be paying attention to these elements and these themes that accompany the gospel, okay? It's all these little facets that I was telling you about that are on the diamond of the gospel, what are they? They are these pictures or these revelations of the virtues of God. They are, if you will, knowledge, understanding, and bright, shining glory about who God is and what he's done in Jesus. Okay? And so I, I want to kind of expose you to what those are before we start going through these gospel texts. And then as we go through it, what I hope to do is to show you the elements and the nature of the gospel in the New Testament proclamation of it. Are you with me? So as we're going through Romans 3, 19 through 28, I want to show you these elements. I want to show you how the scripture is expressing these divine details about the gospel so that we get this clear understanding that the gospel isn't just one simple little thing, okay? It's this glorious picture of who God is. And, 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 you know, the very name of Jesus, you know what it means? It means the Lord saves. That's what it means. Okay? And that's, that's very, very precious, profound truth for those of us who've been saved. Amen? But if you will, um, talking more here about the complexities of the gospel. In fact, all of the categories of doctrine in the Christian faith are inseparably tied to the gospel and provide for it a foundation and support. Now listen to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that everything that we teach in Christianity, if we're teaching biblical Christianity, okay, is inseparably tied to the gospel. I'm saying all Christian doctrines are tied to the gospel in a way that they can't be divorced from the gospel. They're tied to it. They have union with it. Okay, so that everything, all teaching within the Christian faith has its origin and flows out of God's expression in the gospel. Are you with me? And, and I, I kind of hope to show you that as we go through these gospel texts. But let me just kind of point that out by... I've broken um, uh, all of Christian doctrine into a few categories here, and I want to show you how the gospel is tied to all of Christian doctrine. Okay? All of these great doctrines have important ramifications to the support of the gospel and work together to weave the tapestry of God's amazing redemptive purpose as he unfolds it in the history of the world. So if you will, <clears throat> we have doctrines like the authority of Scripture. Okay, so now here's, here's a doctrine in Christianity, a teaching. A doctrine is a teaching. That's all it is. Okay? The Bible is God's Word. Amen? How many of you have been taught the Bible is God's Word? How many of you believe it? The Bible is God's Word. How come? Because the Bible says it's God's Word. Amen? And whatever the Bible says goes because it's God's Word. 
Oh, come on. That's circular reasoning. You bet it is. Right? And then let me tell you, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You know the Bible is God's Word. Why? Because you read the words, there's transforming power. There's nothing like that, anything else. The Word of God is powerful. It's quick. cuts to the intentions, separating the intentions and the motives of the heart. Amen? And if you're saved, do you know exactly what that means? Why? Because that's what it did to you. Amen? Well, so the point is, is we have this doctrine of the authority of Scripture. What is that? Well, that the Bible is God's Word. It's inherent and infallible. That it's the final rule of faith and conduct for all who follow Christ. Amen? In fact, Christ is presented to us in the Bible. Where else do you go and read the Gospel? Where else do you go read Matthew telling us about the life of Jesus? Is that the Jerusalem Daily Times from, from uh, the first century A.D.? No, it's not. Where does that come from? It comes from the Bible. We don't just have one gospel account. We have four, right? And all four present him in another different facet of who he is, right? Matthew presents him as king. Mark presents him as servant. Luke presents him as son of man. And John presents him as son of God. Amen? And, and so, if you will, the Bible is where Jesus comes from for us. Not in, the, not in the ontological sense. Jesus doesn't come from anywhere. He's God, eternal God. But in the sense that our knowledge is taught and instructed by the words of the Bible. Are you with me? And so the, the authority of Scripture is a pillar and a support for the gospel that without it, what, what would be the credibility of the message that we preach? Are you with me? Well, what would be the credibility of, of, of Jesus, the Lamb of God, dying on a cross, if the Bible did not present all the evidence that it presents of who Christ is? Are you with me? Five, 500 eyewitnesses to not only the death and burial, but the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 500 eyewitnesses plus. Amen? If we didn't have that testimony... People would look at us like we were nuts when we were talking about someone being raised from the dead. Are you with me? And that's just one little aspect. Think about all the things that the Bible says about Jesus and God and the Bible. And, and, and Jesus and God and, and God's purpose in history. All of the things that the Bible tells us. Okay? Without saying that the Bible is authoritative and a divine message come from heaven to earth to us. What, what would these things be? Not only that, but usually, uh, a lot of times we wind up in a in a um, in a uh, apologetic argument with somebody about the fact that the Bible is the Word of God. Why? Because they don't like what it says, <laughs> right? Right? And so, it's extremely important that we understand that the doctrine of the authority of Scripture gives the gospel its support. It gives the gospel its credibility. The gospel is something based on a historical fact. Okay, Here's a theme, an element of the gospel. It's historical. It's a historical reality. It's something that happened in time and space in history. Are you with me? We're not, we don't have some faith in some blind thing, which most people think that Christianity is. They think it's a, you know, some kind of uh, conjured up uh, belief in some fairy tale. Right? It's very much of a postmodern idea. Right? They think re religion is some kind of fairy tale and it's divorced from reality, you know, and it's just some crutch for you to hang your conscience on, right? No, it's not that, right? What is it? It's a real faith based on a real historical fact. What fact? The fact that God came into time and space to live and die as a man to pay the penalty for sins and to reconcile all those who believe. Amen? That's a historical reality, family. If you didn't have the Bible, you wouldn't have a testimony to the fact that that history took place. Are you with me? That's why the doctrine of the authority of Scripture is inseparably tied to the Gospel. Are you with me now? Understand how I'm saying that those doctrines of the authority of Scripture are inseparably tied to the Gospel. Also, what about the idea of theology, right? The gospel proclaims the existence of God and his claim upon mankind and his creatures. Okay, well, of course it does. The gospel is a message about God. 
It's a message about the God-man. Right? So it's intensely theological. It's also anthropological. (laughs) Right? It's about man. It has these elements, these characteristics, okay? Um, if you will, it's, it's, it's inseparably tied to the doctrine of salvation. Well, of course it is. Why? Well, because there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he alone is the only atoning sacrifice that God presented, right, for sins. Jesus himself is the propitiation for sins. Buddha didn't die for your sins. Krishna didn't die for your sins. Right? And you can go hide in a cave somewhere and not drink water for as many days as you want and Jesus will still be the only Lamb of God that reconciles you to God. Are you with me? And He Himself is the way, the truth, and the life to be saved from sin and reconciled to God. Okay? The Gospel is a message that's inseparably tied to the doctrine of salvation. It is, if you will, at the very core of the doctrine of salvation is the cross. Amen? Okay, and then also ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. What is the church like? What are its purposes? Why, why does the church do one thing uh, versus another thing, right? What happens when the church comes together? All those ideas and teachings and doctrines that are related to the understanding of the church, let me tell you, they're inseparably tied to the gospel. Okay, why is that? <clears throat> The gospel calls out a people from the darkness of sin and the world to become the people of God through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. All of these redeemed people comprise the church. What are we saying? (laughs) We're saying all of those who God regenerates or all of those who have been born again believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and comprise the church. Who is the church? It's all of those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit. That's who the church is. Well, where is she? She's in every people and language and tribe and nation. That's where she is. Amen? Are you with me? What defines who she is? I'm telling you what defines who she is. She's the temple of the living God, the place where God lives by his spirit. And let me tell you, that's the work of God, not the work of men. Are you with me? So, if you will, this study of ecclesiology is inseparably tied to the gospel as well as eschatology or the study of the end of the world, the study of last things, right? The study of end times is inseparably tied to the gospel. Why? The gospel proclaims the kingdom of God and his rule coming to lay claim to his creation and banish his enemies forever. Okay? The gospel presents the king and the kingdom which has now broken into time and space, but has not yet reached its fulfillment. However, the Bible tells us what the fulfillment of the kingdom of God looks like. Okay? And this ain't it. Are you with me? But it's on its way. And if you know that, you know that because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to you. Amen? Which is one of those great things he does, like Pastor Tim was telling us. He will guide us into all truth. Amen? Well, so you can see then how all the categories of doctrine, of Christian faith and Christian doctrine, are inseparably tied to the gospel. But this is not all. The gospel has other important ramifications as well. Consider this brief outline given by D.A. Carson in his sermon, What is the Gospel? Now, how many of you listened to that sermon? A few of you? Good night. You need to stick that thing in your CD player, man. Amen. We got a few amens there. I mean, we're talking about a man who has mastered the gospel and who is a man who can articulate truth very well. Man, he just lays it out for you. I I don't know if if you if if you listen to it, you'll know what I mean. (laughs) But but in that, he 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 has this outline of his sermon. Okay, and I basically presented this outline of his sermon to you, and. What he does is he presents eight defining words and five clarifying sentences. And, and in this, he's describing what the gospel is. Okay? Well, he says that, number one, the gospel is Christological. Well, that means it's a message about Christ, the incarnate God, Lord and Savior. Okay? 
So that the, the gospel is, is, has this nature. The nature of the gospel is it's Christological. It's Christ-centered. The gospel itself is a message about Christ. Amen? And it tells us who he is. Let me tell you, you don't have any gospel at all if you've got Jesus and he's not God, very God. That ain't no gospel. That don't save anybody. Right? Mormonism is a witness to this. Are you with me? So is every other false religion that presents a false Jesus. So the gospel has Jesus Christ at the center. Who is he? God, very God, come in the flesh as a man. 100% fully God, 100% fully man. And it's that Jesus who is the sum total of the gospel. You with me? And only that Jesus can give his life as a propitiation for sins. Only that Jesus can save. Are you with me? The gospel is Christological. It's also theological. It's a message about God and his relations with mankind. It's also a biblical message. Okay? Let me tell you, is the gospel just something that you conjured up one day when you were in prayer and God showed you some heavenly vision? Is that the gospel? What, what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that the Bible brings to us. And without the record of the word of God, we don't, the gospel is not defined for us. However, in the Bible, the gospel is defined in all of its glorious beauty. Are you with me? And all these elements and things about the gospel are defined for us in the Bible. You can't divorce Jesus Christ from the Bible. You can't divorce the message about who he is from the Bible. Okay? And let me tell you, we don't need some new gospel of Thomas or gospel of Judas or some kind of thing that was written in the 4th century to help lead us to Jesus. We have a complete written record, all written in the 1st century. Amen? Are you with me? The gospel is biblical. It's also apostolic. It's, it's a message preached and established by the apostles. Not only were they preaching the message, but we have the record of it. We have the record of what happened when they went out and preached the message. Right? Roman world was turned upside down in less than a century. Right? The, the, uh, the gospel is apostolic. It's historical. It's a message based on historical facts. Jesus actually lived and died. Jesus, God himself, came in flesh. He was born of a virgin, right? The shepherds testify. The angels testify, right? Jesus came in the manger. God in human flesh who will save his people from their sins. Amen, right? Grows up and does what? Saves his people from their sins, right? It's all there for us. It's, it's historical fact what happened. The gospel is personal. It's a message of paramount importance for every single individual. There isn't a man or woman alive that you can speak to that the most important issue in all of their life is the gospel. There is nothing more important to any human being that lives and breathes on this planet than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Family, be bold. Warn people of the coming wrath. We've only got a little bit of time. Are you with me? These are serious, serious matters. Tell me, what's a more important message? What's a more important topic? Is there anything we can talk about that has more weight and is a more serious issue than the gospel? No, it's not. And, and that's, here's why. It's personal. It applies to every person. Amen? Every person has to stand as a person before God. Every person is subject to the judgment of God, which is held out in the gospel. For it is appointed for a man to die once, and then what? The judgment. It's personal. The gospel is personal. And when Jesus saves, listen, he's a personal savior. He saves people from their sins. Jesus saved me, Sean P. Sloan, from his sins. Are you with me? It's not just some corporate reality. Let me tell you, it's very, very personal in nature. Jesus died for me. The Lamb of God bled for my sins. Are you with me? And your sins, if you believe. 
the gospel is universal. That means it applies to everybody. It applies to the entire world. All the nations are a witness to the dying lamb. And all the nations are held accountable to the law of God. Okay? We're going to learn that from our section in Romans. It's eschatological. We talked about that. And I'm just going to kind of lead you through these last few. The gospel's heralded by proclamation. In other words, what do you do with it? Well, you preach it. It's a message. What do you do? Tell people about it. So how is the gospel disseminated? Through preaching. Use whatever media you want. You might have it on a tape. You might be coming out of your mouth. One way or the other, people have to be told. It happens with words. It's the communication of God's message to other people. Are you with me? The gospel is received in authentic, persevering faith. In other words, there is a kind of faith that does not save. James tells us about that. There is a kind of faith that does save, right? And we'll just suffice to call it authentic, persevering faith. But it's also disclosed in personal self-humiliation. So when I come to you and I say, you know what, Jesus died for, for sins. And if you believe on him, that, that death can be applied to you and you can be saved from God's wrath and you can have eternal life. Well, when I do that, I'm also telling you that I'm a sinner and that I've offended God and that God is infinitely angry with me over my sins and that Jesus is also a Savior for me and that I had to come humble myself before the cross in order to receive him just like you do. Right? I can think I'm a self-made man, but yeah, I'm a good self-made sinner. That's what I am. Amen? But only God can save me. And only God can save you. Are you with me? And, and, and let me tell you, you can't receive the cross with pride. Pride is the enemy of the gospel. Pride is the mother of hell. Pride is the thing that got Satan thrown out of heaven. Pride is the thing we have every time we sin against God. And we say, no, Lord, my will is more important than yours. Because I'm defining my own reality. We'll see how long that goes on. Amen? Till the judgment, and then it's over. And let me tell you, it's final. Okay, we're out of time. So then, these last two things, just consider this. The gospel is central, is the central confession of the whole church. What makes a church? What, what makes a real, authentic Christian church? I want to tell you. The gospel. The true gospel, where it is heralded, there are true believers. Because only true believers know it, for one. <laughs> right? And number two, nobody else can become a true believer without it. Are you with me? And so, it's the central confession of the church. What makes a church? The gospel. What makes a Christian? Are you with me? What makes a Christian? Did you, did you receive the Spirit by being a good guy? <laughs> you understand? You understand? How did, how did you receive the Spirit of God? By believing that Jesus is God, that he's God, he died for me. Entrusting my life to him and doing that through repentance. Amen? That's what makes a Christian. And lastly, the gospel is boldly advancing under the contested reign and inevitable victory of King Jesus. Okay? Here's this whole thing about the gospel being eschatological. Let me tell you, Jesus is coming again. And those of us who preach the gospel, we warn people that Jesus is coming again. And we tell them right now is a free offer of pardon. God is offering to all who will come to him. Right? Come unto me and I will give you rest. You will find rest for your soul. Right? Come, buy and eat. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be like wool. Come unto me, says Jesus. Right? You'll find forgiveness for your sins. But if you reject him, 
There could be not a more severe pronouncement upon you than the one that is proclaimed in the gospel. Can you think of something more severe? So then, I say, come King Jesus. Come soon, Lord, please. This place is dying. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and Father, we praise you, we honor you, we bless you. Lord, what can we say to these things? I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would impact each one of us in our heart, God, about how serious this matter is. Also, Lord, that we would see and understand the great joy and hope that is held out in this gospel. Lord, I just pray that you'll help us, encourage us, and strengthen us in this understanding. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.